Well, I do invite you to turn with me to Joshua 13. And uh, we've, we've uh, adopted the custom of standing during the reading of Scripture. I'm going to give you a break this morning because I'm going to get you to flip through uh, the latter half of the entire book of Joshua here. So you'll need both your hands, and, and it might be a few minutes. So uh, I'm going to show some mercy on your legs and, uh, and uh, not do it. So I'm not going to read everything that, I'm, that, that is in chapter 13. Uh, but we're going to read 13 and 14, and then we're going to look at what the rest of the, this section of Joshua says. Dr. Dr. Ralph Davis has written a commentary. Uh, some of you know Dr. Davis. He used to be pastor at Woodlands in, uh, in uh, Hattiesburg and uh, a longtime professor at RTS, and he's retired now. But in his uh, commentary on Joshua, he said, moving from chapters 1, to tw- 1 through 12, to the next section, which is 13 through 21, which we're starting today, it's like going from watching a war movie to conducting land surveys. And his comment was meant to communicate that it is very boring. And so uh, I hate to say that about God's Word, but uh, if you've ever read through the Scriptures and you've gotten to those genealogies in the Old Testament, it can get a little seemingly tedious. And, uh, and here we've got a lot of lists of... Uh, towns and cities, especially chapter 15, and, and it can be a bit distant for us and, and strange. So hopefully I'll help us navigate that a little bit and uh, have a fresh appreciation for what God's Word says here. So um, I'm not going to be covering every section, as I said, moving forward as, my, as is my usual practice. So we're going to do a bit of a flyover of this section of Joshua. Joshua 13, verse 1. Hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and those of the Geshurites from the Shehor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those at Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Miara that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Misrephoth Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. In verses 9 through 12 it describes the land east of the Jordan that was inherited by Reuben, Gad, and part of Manasseh. Verse 13, pick it up there. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. And then verses 15 through 23 
describes the land given to Reuben in more detail. And we've read some of that in the past. Verses 24 through 28 describes the land given to Gad. Uh, again, another one on the east side of the Jordan. And then 29 through 33 describes the rest of it that was given to Manasseh. So picking it up in 14, and that, that end of chapter 13 covers everything that was, that was inherited on the east side of the Jordan. Now we're getting to the west side of the Jordan, to the promised land. These are the inheritance, inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. It, inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord had commanded Moses. They allotted the land. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, surely, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in, that, in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me the hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day... How the Anakim, these were the giants, were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. And just as you flip forward, we're just gonna, I'm just going to tell you what these next chapters are about. Chapter 15 describes the allotment to Judah. I mean, there's probably 60-something cities listed there. I had to read that one time at First Press Jackson during the worship service uh, as part of the reading uh, for that day. And he wasn't preaching on it. Uh, it was just we had a chapter uh, each week of Joshua we were reading at that time. I showed up and he says, have you read Joshua 15 this morning? And I said, no. He says, you might want to take a look at it and rehearse it. So that was a treat. Uh, so Judah is given its allotment in chapter 15. Chapter 16 and 17 describes the allotment given to Ephraim and Manasseh. And then in chapters 18 and 19, they go out and survey the rest of the land and divvy it out to the rest of the tribes. And then finally, Joshua gets his inheritance, like Caleb got his at the beginning. And it's interesting that they began with Caleb in the promised land and end with Joshua, the two spies 
that said, yes, let's go take it at the very beginning when they first looked at the, the, the land. And then chapter 20 is about the cities of refuge. These were cities designated if you, were, uh, if you accidentally killed someone, manslaughter, uh, for example, you could, you could flee to these, these cities to save, uh, save yourself from retributive justice, vigilante justice. So those were the cities of refuge described in chapter 20. And then chapter 21 is the cities where the Levites dwelt. They were spread out through all the tribes, and they had certain cities that were given to them for their, for their, uh, for their crops and for their uh, livestock. And uh, they didn't have whole regions, just cities that they were given. So that's, that's that section that's given us the, the uh, inheritance given to Israel. Now this morning I want to highlight three things concerning these chapters, particularly 14, uh, 13 and 14, what we read there. And then I want to make three points of application based on those three things that I point out. And, and my goal is to encourage you with the promises the Lord gives his people today as we look at what God promised his people back then. And hopefully this encouragement will lead us into a deeper trust in and faithfulness to the Lord. Now the three things I want to point out about the Israelites is their inheritance, and then the work left to do, and finally the guarantee that God gives them. So inheritance, work, and a guarantee. So first, the inheritance. Now, as I said before, you've probably read through the Bible. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to do so. If you need a reading plan, contact me. I can give you any kind of reading plan you need. Uh, to get through the Bible in any allotted time. So I want to encourage you to start today, if you have never read through the Scriptures, embrace that uh, priority in your life and, and get into, the, into God's Word. Uh, so if you've ever read through Joshua, or the whole Bible for that matter, you've come to these chapters, 13 through 21, and then if you're like me, you know, you're kind of glad when it's over and you can move on to something a little more engaging and exciting. Uh, and that's... Uh, not a commendation on my part, but, uh, but the truth. Um, so you've got these descriptions of all these various allotments given to the tribes. It's kind of boring. Uh, we don't know where these places are other than that they're on the other side of the world. Uh, maybe we get out a map and, uh, from the back of our Bibles or a study, some sort of study guide, and, and we can look at the map and see where these places are, at least the, the ones where they know uh, the location today. But even then, it, it doesn't seem all that relevant to us today, does it? Where we live in our lives in the 21st century. But to the people to whom the land was given, this would have been extremely exciting. They had never owned land before. Isn't that wonderful? Their parents were slaves in Egypt. And after they left Egypt, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. Now Joshua, this book was written sometime obviously after Joshua's life and after the events recorded here, perhaps to the next generation, as a remembrance of what the Lord had done for them and what the Lord had given them. I can envision Israelites, Israelite parents pointing out to their children when their hometown was mentioned in the list, when the book of Joshua was read perhaps in the synagogue. Did you hear that? He just said Ziklag. That's our hometown. The Lord gave that to our family. The Lord gave that as an eternal inheritance to us. 
Wouldn't that be very special? I love genealogy research. I've spent a lot of time tracking my own family. And, uh, and, and I enjoy reading the wills of some of my ancestors and looking at the maps to see where they purchased land and where they farmed, even though I may never have set foot in Coy, Alabama. And I give everything in my wallet to somebody who can tell me where Coy is. Um, but it's, a, it's interesting to me because I have a connection there, some sort of connection. Can you imagine the Israelites when they read this, the connection they had? So the names of all these towns and the borders of their inheritance would have thrilled the soul of the Israelites. But more importantly, it would have been a testimony to God's faithfulness to keep his promises. God has kept his promise that he made centuries before to their forefather Abraham. He promised Abraham that he would give Abraham's descendants this country. Now, the promise was kept in detail. And I'm sure when they were slaves in Egypt, it was hard for them to envision that God was actually going to follow through and fulfill his promises to them. But he did. And here they are. These chapters of Joshua are a testimony to God's faithfulness to his promises. And it's a good lesson for us. God is faithful and will fulfill every promise he's ever made. No matter how unrealistic it may seem to you at this moment. If God has promised it, it's going to happen. And we're going to talk about some wonderful promises here in just a few minutes. And it's going to happen. Well, that's the, the inheritance that they received. The next thing is the work. They still had work to do. Verse 1, I always chuckle when I read verse 1. Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. I think that's kind of funny. Gee, thanks a lot, Lord. Uh, but that statement at the end, there remains yet very much land to possess. They, they were occupying Canaan, but there were still the Canaanites there and uh, negative influence to them. When you look at the map and what, where they were the, the places that were listed there that they still needed to go, the, the Philistines, the area, and we'll hear about them throughout Judges, especially there. And then, of course, David fought a lot with the Philistines. Um, so it's basically an area way in the north, pushing into Lebanon, way in the south, the Sinai Peninsula, along the coastland. So that portion of the land. And then, of course, there were little groups all throughout the promised land. Much work to be done. They had received their inheritance. They had divvied it out. They were occupying the land, but they still had to drive out the inhabitants. They still had to work towards the holiness of the land. You know, they were to drive these people out partially as judgment upon them because they had done all these abominations that we've talked about in the past but also to preserve their own holiness, to have a place where God and his people could live and dwell and, and worship the Lord without falling into paganism, false religions. So much work to be done. It's a concept in, in the Bible, in theology, already and not yet. God is fulfilling his promises, 
and they're fulfilled, but still there's more to come. There's more to come. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So there's more work to be done, and we see some of it even described as Caleb goes and he tackles the Anakim in the hill country. The Lord drives them out before him. Well, that's the second thing, the work to be done. And then thirdly, there's a guarantee given here. Now Joshua, he's old. He's no longer going to go out to war. That's the point of this. He's not going to be leading them in battle as he's done all throughout the first 12 chapters. Um, But what does the Lord say? Look at verse 6. It talks about all, you know, who, who they need to drive out. Verse 6 is kind of jumping in the middle of a sentence. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mishrapoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians, I myself, the Lord says, will drive them out before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Joshua is not going to lead them anymore, and that's going to make it difficult for them. Joshua has been very successful in all the campaigns in which he has led the Israelites upon. But now, how are they going to feel that Joshua's not there? Now, all along, we've been pointing out the fact that God repeatedly says, I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to drive out, I'm going to fight for you. Joshua led them in that. So it really is just a repeat of the promise that he's given to them all along. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. You don't need Joshua. You got me the God of this universe, the sovereign Lord of all things, the most powerful being. But, you know, the truth of the matter is they all uh, fail to fully trust the Lord, except for Caleb. It talks about uh, in Judges, when you get to the next book, of course, there's more statements like the one I read earlier. They fail to drive out uh, these other people's That statement is repeated throughout these chapters. They fail. But when you get to Judges 1, you have some successful battle in the first few verses, but the rest of chapter 1 is all about their failures. One failure after another failure to drive the people out, and it makes a bold statement of saying the conquest failed. They did not drive everybody out because they did not fully trust the Lord. Uh, The people had chariots. You know, they made excuses, they didn't follow through, they didn't trust the Lord, and therefore the conquest eventually failed. It pointed to other things, you know, uh, other greater promises that were yet to be given. So the Lord was in control of all this, but that's what happened. But Caleb is a great example. Caleb, and it repeatedly said it, and I tried to emphasize it when we were reading it, it says the same phrase over and over again, Caleb, holy followed the Lord. He wholly followed the Lord, which means he trusted him completely. Not 90%, not 95%, 100%. He trusted the Lord. And even at the ripe old age of 85, of course he's still got his strength. He must be quite a specimen to still have his strength at that age. Uh, But he still trusts the Lord. Look at what he says there. Perhaps, um, uh, verse 12, So now give me this hill country on which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there. These, these dudes were giants with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. And you know what he did? He drove them out. The conquest, though, in the rest of the nation failed. 
verse 13, the people did not drive out the Geshurites, the Maakothites, etc. And so Judges 1 again says the conquest failed. But as I said, this laid the groundwork for further promises of God to be revealed as the history of Israel moved forward. Maybe a king could come in and help them with this conquest. Well, a few applications in our few minutes we have here left. And we're talking about the inheritance of Israel. But there's a greater inheritance that's promised to Christians. Christians will inherit an eternal, imperishable kingdom. Just a few verses from the New Testament. Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So our inheritance uh, includes eternal life. The parable of the sheep and the goats, he turns to the sheep and he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a kingdom that's been prepared from the foundation of the world for his people. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, talking about the resurrection. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And that means the perishable, you know, if you've got something that's perishable, you've got to put it in the refrigerator or it'll, or it'll spoil and rot and, 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 and decay. So something that is perishable cannot inherit the imperishable, something that is eternal, something that never decays, fades away. And he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is imperishable and eternal that will not decay. There's no death there. First Peter 1, 4, Peter calls it an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Love that. Imperishable undefiled, there's no sin there, no unholiness, and unfading. We won't get tired of it. It will never fade forever. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, this is the flip side. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Doesn't that give hope to everybody here? You know, maybe we're on that list, or we were on that list. But the Lord Jesus can wash and cleanse us and justify us so that we can inherit this kingdom, this eternal and perishable kingdom. 
Well, we read Ephesians 1, uh, 11 earlier for our uh, assurance of pardon. We, we will get this inheritance that the Lord has for His people, and the Spirit has been given as a down payment for it, that we'll one day receive the fullness of it. And then Paul prays in the coming verses, and, and he wants those people to know that the Lord God, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So what he wants you to see and understand and grasp something. And here's what it is. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul wants you to know that and understand it and grasp it, even though, as Corinthians tells us, it's beyond our imaginations. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. So we have an inheritance. And maybe that promise, like the promise to the Israelites in Egypt, it may seem so far off. Uh, it, it may seem unreal to us because we can't imagine it really. But God is faithful to his promises. Christ died and rose again and will return to usher in this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kingdom. And do you think that he went to all that length on behalf of us to stop short and not deliver the promises, not to bring us the fullness of what he died for? Surely not. So we have an inheritance, and I hope that fills your soul with hope today and keep it in your mind's eye as you live and walk and the decisions that you make in your life. Application two, I know we're running short here. Christians still have work to do. You know, the people of Israel had work to do to, to get their inheritance fully and completely. We are the same. Paul said we've already obtained an inheritance in Ephesians 1. And we've received the Spirit as a down payment. But we haven't yet received the fullness of all the Lord has for us yet. That won't come until Jesus returns. Until that day, we have work to do. I love the, in, in, the, in Acts, and Jesus has died. You know, the, the disciples were like, we thought this guy was the one. And here he is, he's, he's dead. You know, we thought he was going to change everything and, and usher in the kingdom of God. And now he's dead. And then he rose again. And they're all excited. Yes, there's Jesus. He's back. And he's, he's uh, hanging out with them for 40 days. And he told them, you know, meet me in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 1, after they come together in Jerusalem, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this when you're going to usher in uh, the new heavens and new earth? Is this when you're going to bring peace and and freedom from our oppressors? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Can you see him just sitting there, you know, <laughs> looking? Where'd he go? <laughs> Is he going to come back? And he said, this, the angel came and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from he- you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In the meantime, you will be my witnesses. You'll be witnesses to the kingdom of God on earth. And that's exactly what our call is too. To be witnesses to the kingdom. To live the kingdom values. To show the kingdom of Christ in the way that we conduct our lives. And the things that we think are important or not important. Now we're not fighting a literal war like the people in Canaan were. But a spiritual one. Paul says in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 10... Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So that's really what we're about. We have a spiritual war going on, and we are all about bringing the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to obey Christ in our own lives and in, and in others. And not just to enact that upon them, but to win them to Christ. So we still have work to do. It's spiritual work. Sometimes it seems very distant from us, and it shouldn't. But we need to be faithful to the Lord, always looking for His return. Now, third and quickly, third application, based on the promise, the guarantee that was given to the Israelites, that the Lord would fight with them. The Lord will drive the enemies out. The Lord will work for them. Christians have the promise of Christ's presence with them as they work. Okay. You remember the, the scene of the Great Commission. You know, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's appeared to them several times. They meet together, and it tells us there in Matthew 28, 16, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, they were, they were kind of going, what is going on? You know, we, we thought he was the Messiah, then he died, then he rose again. Uh, you know, is this, is this the Messiah? Are we right? Is this, is this the one? So there was some doubt in them. And look what Jesus says immediately. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yes, that's what they needed to hear. All authority has been given to Jesus. Yes, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So, Jesus, what are you going to do now that you've come back? Well, nothing. Verse 19, go, therefore. There's a therefore. Since all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, you go and make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's kind of the same thing that the Lord said. Joshua left the people of Israel. They didn't have his leadership there anymore. But God said, I'm going to fight for you. Jesus is not physically present with us anymore at the moment, but the Lord, he's, he's with us. And he's got all authority. He's with us to the end of the age until he returns again. And then he's going to be physically with us. So we're never, as believers, without God's presence with us. 
Well, in conclusion, back to that 1 Corinthians 15 passage uh, where, where Paul talks about putting on the imperishable and will be changed uh, and raised to, to new life and put on the imperishable and live in an imperishable kingdom. Uh, he says there, the sting of death, the sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll stop there, but the next verse says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, and this is what we need to do, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What you do for the Lord is not empty or purposeless. It is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How much time do we spend watching television or playing games or watching sports? I'm talking to myself. I'm sure no one else is like that. And how much time do we spend in the work of the Lord? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would forgive us for being like the Israelites were when they failed to complete the conquest. Lord, we know that we're weak and we shouldn't be able to, to get any victories, but you're with us, Lord, and you've got all authority and power, and we pray that you would use us and work through us. And help us, Lord, by faith to trust you. And when you say, go and do this, Lord, we pray that we would trust you to go and do what you've called us to do. And when you tell us, don't do that, help us to have the strength to say no to those things and trust that you have our best interest at heart. And Lord, may we be representatives of your kingdom here on earth as we're caught in between the, the age to come and the, the current age. And may, Lord, we be ambassadors for Christ. But most importantly, Lord, we, I pray that we would all have real true faith in you, trust in you. There are some here who may not really have ever put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for them that they would cry out to you, turn from sin, repent, and see the error of their ways, and submit to you and, and, and come to you and seek the salvation that you've promised that you would give to anyone who called upon you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.